Hello, hello, and welcome to Art House Garage, snob-free film podcast where we make art house, indie, classic, and foreign cinema accessible to the masses. I'm your host, Andrew Sweatman, and you are listening to part two of our Best of 2022 special. In this episode, film critic Russell Miller is going to help us dive in to the 10 best films of 2022. And if you missed part one, make sure to go back to hear our favorite 2022 performances, movie moments, and much more. Don't go anywhere. Before we get into the show, don't forget Art House Garage has a Patreon. Sign up today for extended episodes, bonus episodes, video episodes, and ad-free episodes. All that, plus a discount on merch in the Art House Garage shop. Go to patreon.com slash arthousegarage today or find a link in the show notes. Okay, back to the show. Welcome to Art House Garage. 2022 is almost over. We've been talking about the best films of the year. If you listened to last week, then you heard me talking to Russell Miller, who is back again. He is a film critic in North Carolina. He writes his reviews at Miller's Movies, which is linked in the show notes. Been a pretty good year for movies. What we did last week was we talked about our favorite animated films of the year, our favorite documentaries, our favorite comedies, favorite movie moments, favorite performances. So go back and listen to that if you haven't yet. What we're doing today for part two is counting down our top 10 films of the year. So, Russell, thank you for being back once again. How are you? Oh, happy to be here. Yeah, I always enjoy talking movies with you. And uh, you're a big fan of just making lists, too, which um, it can actually maybe is more controversial than you might think. So I thought we'd talk at the beginning of this just about list making because there is I think there's an argument to be made that, you know, why would you rank two pieces of art once against one another? And I definitely see that side of things. Um, I also think that making a list like this or looking at like the sight and sound lists, I talked about this with Amaya Jones recently on the podcast a couple weeks ago, sight and sound lists, like wh- what's that useful for? And, um, you know, seeing different critics lists from different places and, and seeing mm-hmm. surprises on there. And, and I think that's all very fun. Um, but I also can see the other side of that. So yeah, what do you think about, making a list like this how do you make a list like this and uh yeah what are your what are your thoughts uh so so that was uh you know we, we kind of chatted about that a little bit earlier and you know i brought up the analogy of like you know I, two movies that i love this year thor love and thunder and decision to leave like mm-hmm. two completely like opposite ends of the spectrum yeah. film. like how do you how do you pit those against mm-hmm. each other and like Apples make and sense of like which movie is better like which is yeah. <laughs> like and so one of the things because uh, you've talked in other podcasts even with with uh other uh, you know film critics or whatever like some people i know just refuse to rate movies like they just do their mm-hmm. top 10 list and they don't put them in any order mm-hmm. um but of course like i have my mind works around like lists and rankings <laughs> i've had a top my top 10 movies um, and like a list of some for actually I have my top 20 I've had for about 15 years or so that I've kept nice, wow. tabs on rotated movies out rotated movies in as they've grown in my estimation um, so how do I how do I rank movies like what is my process how do you determine a film's greatness and then try mm-hmm. and put it in any kind of an order 
And for me, it all kind of starts with um, the emotions Mm -hmm. that a film brings up, you know, inside of me while I'm viewing it. Like I think about Olivia Coleman watching a movie for the first time in Empire of Light and just like the experience that Mm -hmm. she's having while she's watching that, um, you know, another like movie moment we could have brought up in (laughs) in last week's episode about, you know, like, Mm -hmm. you know, best sequences. Um, But, you know, like I think about that experience and the, the emotions that run through, you know, your, your, your being um, whether it's fear, joy, sadness, elation, heartbreak, anger, pain. I feel like I just named all the characters from inside <laughs> out. Um, <laughs> um, you know, not not just the emotions of it, but like how strongly those emotions, you know, kind of overwhelm you. Because, mm-hmm. you know, it's one thing to to chuckle at a movie or like get some laughs, but it's another to just like be rolling on the floor laughing from, from mm-hmm. a movie. It's one thing to, you know, uh, shed a, shed a tear or two, but you know, like some movies will just make me ball my eyes out. You know, that, that sadness mm-hmm. just completely mm-hmm. envelops me. Um, some, some movies creep you out and you're just like, Ooh, other movies, you know, are terrifying and you sleep with the nights on with the lights on for a night or two because mm-hmm. <laughs> you're just like yeah. <laughs> you know, freaking out. And so one of the one of the examples I wanted to, to mention um was uh from last year a movie Belfast. And mm-hmm. overall the movie was it was a good movie, uh, very cinematic. I liked the cinematography and I liked the performances, but um when it got to Jamie Dornan singing uh, everlasting love to his wife, when there was like some marital tension there and you've mm-hmm. seen that. Right? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. When it got to that scene, like up until then it, the film was maybe like a seven in my estimation. It was just a good movie. Mm-hmm. You know? But when I watched that, the whole sequence was so incredibly cinematic when he grabs the microphone and he's singing mm. that to his wife and he lifts her in the air. And like for maybe the first time that I can ever remember, like my eyes watered up with tears of just joy. Like mm. I've never had that happen before. And that immediately, like that movie just went, went way up my rankings and it ended up coming in at number seven uh, mm. of my top 10 of last year, uh, out of my favorite movies of uh, would have been 2021. But, you know, like, so the whole ride home, I was listening to Everlasting Love and just thinking mm-hmm. about the, that scene. And, and, and so, you know, those are the types of things that kind of like solidify movies as far as like, that's one of the, my best movies of the year. Now, how do I side, you know, how do I decide between a movie that made me super joyful and one that made me super sad uh, that kind of gets a little bit more into the weeds of things you know I, I have to go to the quality of the film the performances how entertaining the movie was but you know I use a lot of those different factors to kind of you know weigh out in my mind what uh you know a, a movie really meant to me and did it edge this one out or was it a little bit you know lower in terms of like how much I you know, enjoyed it. And so that's just kind of a 
you know, a quick tutorial of my mental yeah. process of how I work through rating things. I love that. It's so interesting to hear because yeah. I think, so what I've realized as I think about list making and all that is, is really like how subjective it all is and all of film criticism is. And I just think it's important to highlight that because that's so interesting. Like speaking about like, first of all, tears of happiness, that dance sequence in RRR that I talked about last week, that was my experience with that. <laughs> but I think it's also great that, um, so like Belfast is a great example because movie I didn't love like I, I I liked it pretty well but I uh yeah. and hearing you appreciate it, I'm like oh I, I need to revisit that like I love hearing that through someone else's eyes and so I think that's the great thing about you know list making or end of the year ranking stuff is um just being being turned on to new films that you might not have seen mm-hmm. uh speaking of I I remembered I did this last year when I did a top 10 show and that is looking at the previous year what was your number one of 2021 my favorite movie of last year was yeah. The Power of the Dog. Oh yes, I knew that. And just from having talked to you about it, that's right. No, no that's yes. all right. Yeah, like Very that's I've, I've rated uh, in my movie review blog. I've rated almost two hundred movies, but that was the only one that I've given a ten out of ten. Wow. That movie just there you lured go. me. And you talk about like emotional rides. About mm. halfway through that movie. I was watching it in my dining room and I stood up and was just kind of like, because when I have phone conversations, like as I'm processing, I'll like kind of like, like start moving and pacing and (laughs) watching power of the dog. I just like stood up and like crossed my arms and like, was like kind of like moving back and forth. Like as I watched the last half of that movie, I was just like completely engrossed in everything that Jane Campion was putting on the screen. Um, yeah, I love love Power of the Dog. Fantastic. That's fantastic. I thought it was a really good movie too. It wasn't on my list. So that's another example of like, yeah, hearing you appreciate it is making me want. And so many critics went crazy for that movie. I I, I was yeah. like, what am I missing here? So I need to check it out again. My number one last year was Come On, Come On, the Mike Mills oh, yeah. film mm-hmm. with uh, Joaquin Phoenix. I, I think just something about movies about childhood I really love. And yeah. um, I mean, you can go back and listen to me talk about it last year. But yeah. I had a lot of good ones. I was I looking at my list really quick. Yeah. The Green Knight on there, Memoria on there, oh, Summer of Soul. My top five. Oh, Green Knight is fantastic. Oh man, T. So Maman was on there somewhere. Anyway, we don't have to oh, rehash our old list, but um, last year was a good year too. Anyway, yeah. uh, I think that's a good segue into talking about another thing. So first of all, how we're going to do this is um, we don't know each other's lists, which is kind of exciting. Like we I, we know a little bit here and there, but we don't know the whole thing, um, and. Not we, our first time talking movies together this year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So actually I was going to mention that too. We did a, you know, halfway through the year was in June or July, the top five of the year so far, go back and listen to that, but it'll be interesting to see how many of those stayed on your list. But also um, since we don't know, uh, actually last year I had Philip Price for the top 10 show and we had no overlap, which was wild. I think <laughs> that we have a little bit, but we, we decided we could do um you know how do you want to like place a bet or something about how many we have overlapping or just you know state a number and see who's right at the end um well, if, you know, you want, if you want to you put something on the uh on the table <laughs> on on live uh on live well, audio but like the, uh, the maybe not money but you know what they do on film spotting the other a blu-ray <laughs> yeah oh yeah i like that too on, on on film spotting like they do a contest and the loser has to watch like some terrible adam <laughs> or something like that and talk about it 
<laughs> no, but I like the Blu-ray idea. Yeah, whoever wins owes the other movie. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um, should I go first as far as my guess of how many we have in common? Yeah, go ahead. I don't think it's a very high number. I think it's probably something like four. I want to say four. Okay. Well, yeah. Like I, I was, I was gonna say either three or four. So if you're gonna go with four, then I'll go with three. Um, I don't think there's any way we've got five. I don't think. Yeah, five seems too high. Yeah, we'll like see, though. I, I, I'm after after our episode that we uh, that we did for last week. There's a couple that I'm like, mm, we might we yeah. might be talking mm. about them together. <laughs> We'll see. And also the way we're going to do that is, you know, if I have a movie at number nine, but if Russell has this same film on his list, but higher, he's going to say, hey, stop right there. We're going to talk about we're, that one later. We'll so, um, so and then we'll know that then we can keep our count going as well of how many we have in common. That's right. So uh, I guess without further ado, is there any, anything else we need to talk about? Yeah, go All ahead. Right, so, so two things I want to cover. Like you, you think that you know what my number one movie of the year is. You've watched some stuff recently. You also know that I went to the movies last night and you know what I saw. (laughs) I'll say that the top of my list saw some movement is my number one, still my number one. Wow. We'll find out. Now you're teasing me. And is it still the same as what it was when we did half of the year? Anyway. Yeah. 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 So you're just messing um, with me now. I love it. So, uh, but also one of the things that I want to mention to the listeners was, um, cause we'll, we'll do our honorable mentions once we're finished. Yeah. Yeah. I had, um, as far as my, uh, my nine through 14. So I, I did my top 20 movies of the year, my nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 films all had a rating of 8.8. So they were all like rock solid eight films, wow. uh, out of 10 is how I, uh, how I rate them. And so basically like it was pulling teeth to like try and figure out which of those six movies which two because they were all rated the same we're gonna make the cut and be in my top 10 list and then the four you know got uh got got the boot um we'll talk about them in honorable mentions but that that was like excruciating and uh you know i I, I love hearing your process too. I feel like you're very scientific about it all. Yeah. And for me, it's more of an art. <laughs> like I, um, it also seems like, you know, pretty quickly after you've watched the movie, like where this is going to slot in on your list, which is not the case I, at all for me. Like I, I immediately start to assess like <laughs> those things. Like, but uh, yeah. So like it's if it's past number 10, I don't even have a number on it. So it'll just be honorable mention. Me, but. But, but, but yeah, like I, when I sat down to make the list, I was like, okay, I think, I put a list of like 20 movies, like these are in contention. And then I just kind of agonized over like which ones are the best. And I had an idea. Okay. I think this is one and not all of that kind of thing, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's not something I decide until I have to for, for voting and everything. <laughs> but anyway, um, all right. Well, Here we go. I think it's time to get into it. So I think you're going to go first. What is your number 10 of the year? My number 10 favorite film of 2022 was everything everywhere all at once Uh, mrs wang mrs wang mrs wang are you with us i am paying attention now you may only see a pile of receipts but i see a story i can see where this story is going it does not look 
now your husband. I'm another version of him from another universe. I'm here because we need your help. Very busy today. Uh, so time to help you. Across the multiverse. And I had had to, had to bring it in to the mix because it's. Uh, Oh man, just one of the most original movies that mm. I have seen in a long, long time. Like not just this year, but in, in probably this decade, you know, so yeah. far. Um, you know, the performances, the screenplay, the production design, the direction from the Daniels. This film is just doing so many things right. Um, you know, it. Unfortunately, the the movie does get a little bit too outrageous, and we've we've talked mm. about this before when we did our last our last mm. list, um, you know. But I wanted to ask you, so you you didn't stop me from talking about this one. That's right. And say <laughs> so you don't have it on your list. What That's right? Didn't you like about it? what elements held you back from having yeah, this one? I don't know. I, I I love this movie. I really do. It, it ended up I getting know. edged out, and it it really wasn't like. I'm deciding to get this out. It was just like there's stuff ahead of it that kind of pushed it. But um, I, I, I agree. It's like, it's so creative. It's so, I love like the Daniels have such a zaniness that they can bring to their films and then using that in a way that is really emotional and um, ties this family story together. I think for me, the, maybe the emotions of it didn't land quite as hard as they could have. Like I was, I was really impressed that it ended up being as serious of a film as it is because yeah. it also is so wild. Um, but it wasn't like I was in tears at the end or anything like that, but I know that a lot of people were, you know, and and I think, especially like Asian Americans who like, were had a much more similar experience. Also people in the queer community, I actually, when I did an episode about this film, I had a friend who's a trans filmmaker. They they chose it for their pride month pick to talk about on the podcast and like, yeah. And which I was, I was like, Oh, that's a great pick because the, and I wouldn't have thought of it, but like the queer story of, uh, Stephanie Sue's character joy is such an integral part of it mm-hmm. so yeah i am i'm so impressed by so many things about it it just didn't have quite the emotional like like what you talked about as you um think about what's the best things is really what's the most emotional to you and that's that's where it comes for me as well and so this one just got edged out for that reason but i do think it's a really really wonderful film yeah yeah great great movie um highly entertaining just from the, yeah. from the mm-hmm. straight out of the gate pretty much to the you know to the credits um, and yeah. yeah, just <laughs> some of the some of the wild choices that the Daniels make mm-hmm. um, creatively, it's just yeah. um, unmatched, unmatched in creativity. Absolutely agree, and I think too, it's you know, it, so some of the best movies I think would never work in another medium. Like you yeah. couldn't write a novel of this and it'd be a, at all the same experience, you know, <laughs> I think it, it uses the cinematic form and all the movies on our list, I'm sure do, yeah. but uh, just in particular and, and like using the multiverse construct, it's just, yeah, it's really, really well put together. Really impressive script and direction, I think. But, all right. Well, my number 10 movie of 2022, this one might be a curveball for you. I don't know. It is the wonder uh, by mm-hmm. Sebastian Lelio which is a Netflix uh, thing that you can watch right now. I have not seen this one yet. Yeah, it's, I really liked it. Oh, so it's man. Florence Pugh mm-hmm. is a star, so she's obviously always flawless. But she um, played, uh, the director is Sebastian Lelio, who I, I've only seen a handful of his other things, but he's he made A Fantastic Woman, which was a big Oscar contender that year. Mm-hmm. Um, he made a film called Gloria, and then he kind of remade it, an English version called Gloria Bell that has... Um, 
I'm blanking on the Julianne actress's Moore. name. Yes, Julianne Moore in it. Yeah. And I really like Gloria Bell. Um, so I just, I, I've been interested to see what he will do. And The Wonder is about uh, Florence Pugh plays a nurse and she's uh, tasked with watching this child who supposedly has not eaten for months, but is still alive. And it's this, you know, it's miracle. And the religious community around this child is, you know, all very supportive of um, uh, making sure that this miracle can continue. And it's, uh, it's really, it's, which is an interesting setup. And I kind of thought, where, how, where can the story possibly go? Mm -hmm. Um, And the ending I thought was really fantastic. Um, And again, getting into religious themes is always something I'm really a fan of. And uh, without spoiling anything about the climax, I was really impressed with it. I almost had that on my favorite moments, but I was like, well, I can't talk about it at all without spoiling the whole movie. But there's sort of an inversion. So with my own religious experiences, I've talked about on the podcast quite a bit before, but, you know, having grown up really uh, in a kind of strict religion and, and gradually doing the difficult work of unlearning a lot of those things. Um, this movie spoke to that in a way I did not expect mm. and uh, in a kind of a beautiful symbolic kind of a way. Um, so yes, I really like the wonder. It also does an interesting thing. If I have any complaints about the movie, I, I like this about it. Actually, I just think it doesn't quite utilize it as well as it could. Um, something I've seen a few things do recently where it opens where we're seeing a set, we're seeing a movie set, we're seeing the cameras and the crew, and then it kind of zooms in and suddenly we're in the movie. And so it's kind of calling attention to the construct of the whole thing. Um, the, uh, scenes from a marriage remake show on HBO does the same thing, uh, which I thought was interesting. Um, and it, that kind of, that construct part of it comes back a couple times over the course of the film. I feel like it could have been pushed further and done more with it. Um, but that was an interesting aspect of it as well. Florence's performance is fantastic. Um, but yeah, mostly just the script I think is great. I think it's based on a book. I should definitely know that. I'm pretty sure it is based on a novel as well. Um, but yeah. There you go. Another kind of art, uh, faith, faith and science kind of a, uh, a thing as well. Um, but yeah, really, really liked the wonder. Fantastic. Go. I got to check it out. What is your number nine? My number nine favorite film of the year was till. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, uh, kind of a shock because I uh, I wasn't really expecting to like that movie quite as much as mm-hmm. I did but yeah. uh, getting back to my intro about like um, you know the the whole emotions that go yeah. into you mm-hmm. know um, you know what, what kind of wells up inside you when you're watching a movie it, maybe it, it could be possibly that I hadn't heard that story before if I did you know, read over it in school or mm-hmm. kind of glossed over it. Like maybe I've, maybe I've just forgotten. It's been a long time since yeah. I was in high school, but, uh, but this movie probably hit me a bit harder be- than, than somebody that was maybe a little more familiar with that story. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only is the story just unbelievable, um, but you know, absolutely heartbreaking, um, painful to watch the scene where she's standing in front of the table and uh, mm-hmm. you know the, mm-hmm. the camera angle that like, kind of obscures what's in front of her. Yeah. Um, but you know, talking about like the emotions, like I didn't just get upset. Like I was almost like visibly angry for mm-hmm. that day because I was yeah. I watched it before I went and like during uh, the first little bit of, uh, that I was on that I was at work, 
and I was just like enraged, like my blood was boiling. <laughs> I was so upset, and of course that's you know the the racism that is is even still prevalent, but especially fifty years ago, sixty years ago, and what kind of atrocities happen in some of the southern states mm. i i was just like you know heartbroken for these poor poor people that had to endure some of these things like the 14 year old 14 year old boy um to uh, uh emmett mm-hmm. um you know my my boys are eight and ten and you know like i imagine somebody doing something like that to them and i like i uh, how do you not just like go there and like wipe these people yeah. off the planet mm. at the performances by, um, Danielle Deadweiler, um, just unbelievable stuff. Um, yeah, even, even the, uh, the lady that plays the, uh, the lady that, um, Emmett cat calls to, um, mm-hmm. Haley Bennett. She's been yeah. in quite a few things really like her. Um, although I, I kind of hated her after that. Yeah. Movie. <laughs> Let's see, like yeah. you, yeah. You, if I ever, like, if two of us happen to be like walking down a back alley together, like one of us is all, all, <laughs> all bets are out of it. <laughs> yes, yeah. But no, yeah. That, that's that, that movie was uh, really, uh, really kind of caught me by surprise and how much yeah. uh, I enjoyed. Not again, like enjoyed right, is yeah, a yeah. relative term, but um, you know, yeah. really got me emotionally invested in the story and mm-hmm. and everything that was happening. So yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. I think Till's really well made. And, um, you know, I, I did, I remembered most of the, the story beats of like what really happened historically. And I, I was really curious how they're going to handle that. Um, and I think wisely, like the violence is off screen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's heavily implied. And I think that's a really a good decision. And, and just for anyone who's curious about that and maybe wants to see this movie, but is afraid of that, it's um, the actual incident is off screen. But yeah, and, and the, the greatest focus is on his mother who, you know, becomes an activist kind of against her will in a way. And, and I think that, yeah, as I kind of said, I think mentioned it last week in the, our previous discussion, like, I think what it does really well at the end of the film is she, she's like giving a speech as she's continued to um, kind of raise awareness around racial issues and just the horrific racism um, and it, 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 the way she, the way it's worded, it's like, it, it clearly sort of points to today and we can kind of, it, it, I think it does a good job of, um, bringing that, uh, making the relevance obvious, um, in the, yeah. in the ending there. But yeah, I, I think it's, you know, as you learn the story in high school, I think it's like the perfect, like we can, you know, show this in class. Cause I feel like there's like, you know, history classes, if you watch, you know, the Patriot or whatever, I think this is a, a great addition to, you know, oh, yeah. a high school curriculum, you know, to, mm-hmm. cause you can read the story, but then you can feel it um, maybe a little more oh, depth yeah. when you watch the, the, the rendition of it. So yeah, I think it's a great choice. My number nine, I mentioned last week is the good boss. So um, as I mentioned before, it's, it's a little hazy because this one, qualified for the 2021 Oscars because it came out in Spain in 2021. It was their uh, Academy Award, you know, um, contender, but it didn't come out here till this year. Um, So technically as an American critic, it's a 2022 film. Um, But this movie, I was really impressed with. I I didn't know much going into it um, other than it was kind of a dark comedy starring Javier Bardem, but he, 
again, as I mentioned last time, I'm going to be repeating myself a little bit, but he is the boss of this factory um, and uh, they make scales, which is funny because uh, there ends up being um, like the at the front of the factory, there's a scale and it's broken where it's it's not even. <laughs> so like there's a very symbolic about the justice of what's going on. It's very critical of capitalist systems. It's very critical of um, just class structure and, and, and um, working conditions, all those kind of things. So it brings in a lot of sort of political commentary that's very... Um, really sharp and witty, but it's also a very funny movie. Uh, Javier Bardem is, so he's, you know, on paper, he's this benevolent father figure to all the employees there, but there's definitely a dark side that you realize really quickly. And it kind of pushes that to where he, like there's one person who gets fired at the beginning of the uh, movie and he becomes a protester. He's outside and, and how, how are you going to squash this protest? Because at the same time, there's journalists coming to possibly we're going to win an award this year and he's going to ruin that. And, um, you know, so he's putting these awkward positions. He also, um, he has, he's, he's married and, um, without spoiling anything, the marriage isn't great. And, and what he goes into there, it, it's, it's really, I think working on all like the, the satire of it, the comedy of it, the drama of it, there's, there's like some surprising moments in it, um, all worked so well for me. And I was just like, how, are we, how have more people not talked about this movie? Cause I thought it was really, really good. And, uh, I, I thought maybe it's just a Javier Bardem vehicle. Like I'm going to watch it mostly for his performance. His performance is fantastic, but so much else about this movie is really, really good as well. And that one, uh, yeah, it came out in theaters here in the, the States in August. And uh, I think it's on VOD now, so you can go rent it. And I highly recommend that you do. That's the good boss. I'll check that one out then. There you go. So that was my number nine. Does that mean it's time for your number eight? Number eight. I have the movie Emily. Emily, how did you write Wuthering Heights? <laughs> Shall we begin? Miss Emily Bronte. You're off to become a wonderful teacher. You know I don't like to meet new people. What do you want to do? Do you think I could be a writer? I have lots of stories. Um, oh, okay, here's one that I haven't seen, so there you go. The movie, uh, yeah, so so most people know Charlotte Bronte. I, mm. She wrote uh, Jane Eyre, you know, classic mm-hmm. English literature. And then um, her, her younger sister, I believe, is Emily. Emily Bronte, who wrote Wuthering Heights. Mm-hmm. And is kind of a mysterious figure in history. She was kind of a quirky oddball type of a person, but not much is known about her. So uh, of course the, uh, the, the book itself, Wuthering Heights is a, um, you know, kind of a a dour cynical um, look at, you know, certain aspects of humanity. Um, And so this movie is more like a fictionalized account of um, what her life would have been up to the point that she wrote the book Um, because she passed away at a very young age. I think she died at 30. Um, Mm. And so like this kind of goes through 
what kind of a person care, you know, based on what they know about her. Um, but it's, it's such an interesting film. There's drama, there's romance, there's intrigue, there's sizzle. Like I'm a, I'm a sucker for, for period pieces. Sizzle. I love it. Sizzle, sizzle. Oh, the sizzle. Uh, <laughs> Who not, stars in that movie? Go ahead. Sorry. I don't know. Uh, so, so Emily, the person that plays Emily, uh, Emily Bronte is Emma Mackey. Um, oh yes, 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 yes. Which yeah. I nominated in our, uh, in our, um, film critics i put her down at the list we can nominate up to five best mm-hmm. actress and i think she was at either number four or five because because uh, i really enjoyed her performance in that uh, but it's directed by francis o'connor um and yeah it, it's it's really a unique movie um because it's uh it's not a traditional period piece it's very like there's there's you know different emotional beats and storytelling tropes that all period pieces are going to have anything based in 1800s England, you know, Mm -hmm. sense and sensibilities, the pride and prejudice, the Jane Eyre's even, you know, they're going to have some of the same beats. And this movie is a unique take on them and it subverts a lot of those normal storytelling, um, you know, Mm. you know, things that you would, that you would commonly see in them. And so I was really kind of fascinated by how it, mixed up that genre and did some, I mean, it's sexy. Uh, it, like I said, subversive, it's highly entertaining. Um, and yeah, not, not all great stories have happy endings. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, obviously we just from this character, we know she died at a young age. And so, um, you know, it just doesn't have that happy ending, uh, without Mm -hmm. getting into many of the details of it. Um, but she does have like a, a, a flash in the pan romance with a, with a pastor. Um, oh. And it's just a, it's just a super neat movie. I, I fell in love with it when I, when nice. I first watched it last month and uh, yeah, I, uh, I it stuck on my list and uh, I, I can't wait to watch it again. That's, a, that's, I love that pick. I have not seen it as I mentioned in, I really should because one, I love Emma Mackey. She's on the show uh, Sex Education. She's mm-hmm. so good on that. And um, I mean, I was an English major in college. I've actually been to the Brontes' childhood home oh, in wow. a little village called Haworth in England when I studied abroad. I got to go oh, there. Cool. So, like, I really need to watch this movie. But <laughs> yeah, I'm, and now that I know it's on your list, it's it's shot up on my my to do list. And that's great. Well, cool. Uh, my number eight of 2022 is a movie you've heard me talk about before and that is poser i've been looking for a new apartment where i don't know i want more space to be creative I've always had an interest in collecting sound. Do you mind if I interview you for my podcast? Do you like music? Yeah, I like music. Me too. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had this at number two when we were doing our uh, yeah. best of the year so far. Um, and I still really love it. I watched, I rewatched a good chunk of it and it was like, yeah, this is still one of my very favorite things. So the story is um, this young woman who's uh, played by uh, Sylvie Mix is the actress's name who plays Lennon. And so she um, she's obsessed with the underground musicians in her city and so obsessed with them that she decides to start a podcast where she's talking about um, the scene and interviewing musicians and capturing live audio of them playing. And for one thing, I, I, I'm, I'm a podcaster, so I, I kind of identify with that whole aspect of the story. There's also some great uh, concert footage in this and just um, even like the really lo-fi, like we're performing a song in our kitchen. I love those kind of musical performances. There's like slam poetry and stuff too. So I love all of that. Like the film appreciates the art, but then just thematically where she is like she, the, the opening scene, she's at an art gallery and she's kind of standing off to the side and some people are talking about the art and kind of discussing and giving their takes on it. And then she walks over and she's been recording them. And like, she's the, the, the way that they are thinking about art she's going to like steal it basically. And so that's where the title poser comes from. And just the idea of like, who is really an artist and who, who is, you know, imitating that and being a poser. I thought about the film, um, exit through the gift shop. Did you ever see that documentary about Banksy? Yeah. A long time ago. Just like sort of the imitation thing. So that, that kind of thing came to mind, but, um, but also like the imposter syndrome kind of feeling of like she loves these artists and she wants to be like them, but she doesn't feel adequate enough. So I'll just obsess over them and make a podcast about mm. it, which is also maybe a familiar feeling. Uh, but it, it just tapped into something that I thought was so fresh and so interesting. Um, and then I, I like where the story goes. I think ultimately, like, did you watch the movie Poser, by the way? I finished it this morning. You did? Okay, okay. It's, yeah. I, I I feel like um, cool, I thought cool the ending was movie. good, but I didn't. I I feel like, you know, you kind of see where it's going to go, I guess, yeah, plot wise. Uh, like but it ends up being almost like, like a. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say I wouldn't put it in the like the, the my top twenty or anything, but it, it was it yeah. was surprisingly funny. Like I I was uh, yeah. I was cracking mm-hmm. up a few times when uh, when she's like uh, starting to talk to him, uh, the uh, the uh, main girl Bobby. And yes, the wolf, Bobby Kitten, wolf who Z, Wolf Z, yeah, <laughs> Z Wolf. Yeah, she's like, she's like, Z is really into animal rights. <laughs> He's just like sitting there wearing a wolf. Mask. I was like, that's pretty damn it's funny. So <laughs> yeah, it's so funny, and it's, I think it toes that line too because like some of these are real artists. I think most of them, like yeah. so Bobby Kitten. Mm-hmm. So their their band is called Damn the Witch Siren, and Bobby yep. Kitten's a lead singer, and Z Wolf is this guy. He wears a scary very scary looking wolf mask all the yeah. time kind of like daft punk or something and he like does yeah. the, the musician stuff and i think that that's really their shtick like they really perform that way yeah. um actually some of the i've listened to the album a lot and some of the artists from it i've become some of my favorites there's a band called wyd that i really love. they only have a handful of songs but they're really good mm. um so i like that part of it too but yeah there's it's like these people are interesting and weird and we can kind of laugh about it but also i think the film is appreciating them as artists too. And I think that's such an interesting thing. Like, and I think the, the directors it's co-directors and they are like music video directors. And this is their first feature. Mm. Um, Cause like there's a scene early on where she's interviewing these people about their process. And like, 
it's clearly they're so pretentious and it's like, okay, we're <laughs> laughing about this, but, but, but she's also part of the joke is that she's like, Oh wow, this is so cool. When it's like just nonsense yeah. that they're spewing. Uh, but then she yeah, really like, does appreciate you, the art. Yeah. Can you, can you describe your genre? And they're like <laughs> queer death pop. Junkyard <laughs> yeah. yeah. pop. Oh, yeah. what does that mean <laughs> just, just the most bizarre things but but yeah i think it finds beauty it ends up being almost like an all about eve story and like, yeah her yeah. her status as a poser is a big part of the <laughs> the plot that i won't spoil um yeah, yeah i just there I, it goes yeah i i think really like the i rewatched the first 20 minutes like that's where like the energy of it really captivated me and i just was like hooked to see yeah. uh what was going to happen but i love poser there you go yeah that and one's also because, rent, rentable on vod right now yeah because uh because you're like the one you know podcaster that i i know and like i'm associated with like <laughs> as i'm watching the movie like i'm watching this main protagonist podcaster girl like you know and then by the ending i'm like <laughs> Like no, Andrew, don't do it. No, <laughs> this is not my path. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. for all you art house garage mm-hmm. listeners, if you want to know where in the future Andrew Sweatman and his <laughs> podcasting career take a turn for the sinister, go, go check out Poser. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm gonna do. I, I was gonna say too. I love her performance because it's very kind of reserved and like almost deadpan. A lot of a lot yeah. Of it. Um, and so you don't quite know what her intentions are too. So I think it's a good performance from, from Sylvie Mix. But anyway, yeah, Poser, my number eight. I loved it. And I guess that brings us to number seven. What is your number seven yeah. film of 2022? Number seven. Man, I've been seeing like some great movies just in this last week as I try and put like kind of a button up before our voting just mm-hmm. went in two days ago. It's Wednesday um, that we're recording. And uh, so I had a bunch of movies that I've been crossing off my list just in the last week and a half. And I just watched this. Uh, I think I finished it on Monday. It was Holy Spider. Ah, oh, I haven't caught up with this yet. Ah, uh, it is a, um, it's from an Iranian director, uh, Ali Abbasi. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm guessing is, is how you pronounce his name. Um, but, uh, but it's a, a film about a uh, serial killer. Um, this this guy um, has a wife, has a family, but he begins murdering women. Um, mm-hmm. I won't get into the plot too far, but he's murdering a specific type of woman. Mm-hmm. And uh, the film, it, it was kind of interesting because it reminded me of... Um, uh, Ashgar Fahari is a hero, another Iranian director, mm-hmm. because in a hero, like when you're watching the movie, you're, you're trying to get a, a bead on where it's headed, but it just kind of keeps like twisting mm-hmm. and going back and forth, like to keep you guessing. Yeah. I love a hero. I think it was in my top 10 last year, actually. Yeah. Where, where it's going, where it's going to end up. And, uh, and this movie plays out the same way like about part way into the second act like you're like oh okay you know th- this is like kind of where a normal movie would conclude but mm. then it just kept getting more fascinating like with, mm, the, wow. with the direction that it took um and some of the elements that that play out um i i wish i would have finished the movie before the north carolina film critics voting because i would have nominated mm. it for um 
I believe it's, I don't think it's an adapted screenplay. It's got to be an original screenplay. Mm-hmm. I would have nominated it because it's, it, that screenplay, it's just really something. The story is so well crafted. Um, yeah. And it just, it, it ended up being one of my favorite films of the year. It, uh, um, was really, really captivating. And mm-hmm. so the story progresses, it just gets even more interesting. And there's a, the scene that just to fill in a, a few more details about the film. So the police in, in I, Iran, I guess is where the films mm-hmm. take place. I can't remember the name of the city, Mushar. Um, but there's a journalist that basically like kind of takes it upon herself. Like she, she knows that this guy is going to slip up this, this guy that's killing these women. And so she more or less like puts herself in harm's way, mm, try wow. and get some, some leads to track this guy down and find out and expose him and, and, you know, try and get him, get him locked up. And uh, like I said, it, it establishes some like really incredible tension and then just from there, um, you know, continues to twist and turn through this maze of, of intricacies that the screenplay weaves, um, you know, thus the name Holy yeah. Spider. <laughs> wow. You got to see that one. Yeah, I've heard so many good things, and but I haven't heard this much detail about it. So, yes, I got to watch that soon. That was your number seven. My number seven is a film called God's Country. Did you see a red truck this morning in the canyon? It was parked in my driveway. Probably hunters, right? I don't know. I heard about you. Just didn't know it was this canyon. Did they threaten you at all? Not overtly, but I have definitely been made to feel threatened which um, I absolutely love. And, and so I tried to set aside any bias because I, if you listen to the podcast, you know I've had the director on the show and I talked all about the film with him. I met him at the Bentonville Film Festival earlier this year and when they screened the film, but I, I watched it again and tried to put that aside. And I was like, no, this really is a fantastic movie. And um, yeah, so I mentioned it uh, in the first half of this from last week with Tondiway Newton stars her as a college professor who um, she lives in, in Montana, which Montana, I didn't realize until this is called God's country. That's like the state mm. motto or whatever. It's because it's gorgeous. And I, I've never been there. And, but the cinematography for one thing about this film is, is beautiful. And there's a lot of great landscapes, uh, but she lives up in the mountains and these two hunters, these two young white hunters, want to park on her property to go hunting and she tells them no and that's kind of where it starts and things really escalate very gradually but there's a lot about her job at the university and sort of identity politics going on there and um but but i mean i i love just the way it it's a thriller it really it unfolds really gradually in, in the way it's plotted and the speed that it's plotted um i think are just fantastically well done there are some surprises along the way that I won't spoil. Um, the ending is really fascinating and, and kind of galvanizing and I think mm-hmm. controversial. And so I, I, I've enjoyed the few people I've talked to that have seen it talking about that ending. Um, 
but Tandiwe Newton's performance is so, so good. And she, as I mentioned, when we were talking about performances last week, there's so much that's wordless that we just feel it in her, in her face and her expression, her body language. Um, it's one of the very best performances of the year for me. And, um, yeah, God's country is so, so good. Um, it's, interesting thing about it which i talked all about in the podcast where i talked to the director but it's based on a short story the short story's protagonist is a is an older white man and um the director julian higgins and his writing partner shay Ogbana decided to flip that and it really changed the story in some fascinating ways and and yeah so i highly encourage you to go back and listen to my podcast about it but just seek out this film god's country um it's i think it's like a neo-western but it's um and I, I feel like sometimes people are turned off by Westerns. It's it's not what you associate with that genre. Uh, it's, it's really thrilling and um, just fantastically well-written and well-performed. God's Country, my number seven. Have you watched God's Country? I have not. It's A24, right? It's not A24. It's uh, IFC. It's IFC. IFC? Okay, I was trying to figure out. Yeah. How, I must have gotten a screener then because I got all of IFC's stuff. Um but I'll have to, uh, yeah. So I have it somewhere. I'll have to go through my IFC titles and and uh, yeah. pull it up, pull it up one of these days. All right, no overlap yet. Uh, what is your number six film of twenty twenty two? Number six favorite film of the year was Triangle of Sadness. Ah, all right. We're going to talk about that film later. So we, we are pause there. So we finally have number one overlap. One, <laughs> one overlap. All right. All right. We'll talk about that one a little bit. Um, then I get to go next. And my number six is RRR, which I've talked about quite a bit already. This is the Indian film. It's in Telugu language. So it's Hollywood. It's, it's like a different region. I just learned about the difference recently myself. Um, but this tells the story. It's, it's a three hour long epic. It is, uh, as I said in the first half of this last week, um, just so over the top wild action movie, like Fast and the Furious levels, stunts times 10. Uh, but the story is these two men who are real historical figures who I think never met in real life. It says there's like a, a scroll at the beginning that's like, this is not historically accurate and not trying <laughs> to be. But it sets up this bromance between these two guys who... Um, like they meet and they are just like manly men, which again, sounds ridiculous. And I was like, why, why would Andrew like this movie? But I love it so much. Um, they, uh, basically the setup is that one of them is sort of like a, a figure, like a, almost a mythical figure or something like that, where he is like, he's a protector of this village and these British colonizers have kidnapped a little girl. And so he's, he's sent out to, um, to save this girl uh the other guy is uh a, a police officer with he's he's indian but he's a police officer with the british army and so he's like you know sort of like turncoat and like chasing his own people kind of thing because the british are very much the bad guys here mm-hmm. and um so basically they become best friends and he so his this cop who um works for the british his mission is to find the guy who's trying to come save the girl and the other guy is the guy who's gonna and, and they don't know that about each other so there's that identity hidden and but they're best friends now and um so that's the kind of the setup of it it takes you know 45 minutes to get to that point because it's such a long movie but then so like the tension of that is really fun the action sequences are 
insane and so much fun. Um, it's just like one of the most epic, epic movies I've ever seen. Um, yeah, that's RRR. Has a dance sequence, as I mentioned. Not salsa, not flamenco, my brother. Do you know? Not to. What is not to? Polam got to Dumulo, Napot, like it, the Duki, not to Polera, Majataralo, Potaraju, Ginat to Kirusepole, Sakonica, Samuzesi, not to Maris, to Nirona, Kura, Kumpukuri, not to Yerajan, Narotelona, Mirabatoku, Kalibinato, Napata Zudo, Napata Zudo, Napata Zudo, that's so fun and so wonderful and uh i think especially the two lead performances are really really good um yeah i highly recommend rrr it is streaming on netflix so you can watch it anytime there you go. Uh, and you haven't watched RR yet, correct? No. Highly so, yeah, like, recommend. Yeah, like out of all your movies, God's Country, RRR, um, Wonder, and... Good Boss. So, <laughs> yeah, The Good Boss. I got four new movies to watch. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I and mean, that's how I feel about Emily too. So, uh, But I think we're at number five. What's your number five? Number five is, for, for me was women talking we're going to talk about women talking a little later <laughs> in the show I, sorry to I cut you off again like, there's two we got two uh well then my number five is the banshees of inishirin oh, okay yeah, you're gonna stop me you can stop me okay i love the banshees of inishirin so much uh we talked about it a little bit with colin farrell's performance before last week but um he's so good in it but so for anyone who hasn't seen it it is the basic story is these two guys on this really small, it's a fictional Irish Island. It's a small Island. It's a very small community. They're best friends. And one day, um, Brennan Gleason's column says, I don't want to be friends with you anymore. And if we're, for no real reason, you don't know why. And Colin Farrell's character is just very naive and innocent and is just crushed by this. So like there's comedy built into that. Um, but also it, it really works the, irish uh sort of dialectical uh vernacular in a way it, like for for comedy's sake like it's so so funny and so much of that is the turn of phrase and the wittiness and um it just it finds humor and and martin mcdonough is the writer director uh, and so he certainly knows how to find humor in vernacular language i think that's something he's well documented uh, in doing um so i love that about it i i love that it i mean it's one of the funniest things i, I saw all year i just laughed and laughed as i was watching it and then it goes to this place that is so devastating <laughs> emotionally oh, so my yeah. my review that i wrote the, the title was this is one of the funniest movies of the year and the most possibly the most depressing yeah. like it really yeah <laughs> goes so it's so downbeat by the end um, but I love that about it. And I, I, I love when something can kind of blend those things well. And I think this just does so, so well with it. As you mentioned, the performers, I mean, both the leads, Colin Farrell is my performance of the year. Um, Brendan Gleeson is fantastic. Always Barry Keoghan. So, so good as the supporting wow. friend. And then Carrie Condon is hilarious and so good as well. So yeah, all those actors are, are firing on all cylinders. I think the script is great. Um, I did an episode with this actually about this film with a, a guy who's Irish 
with the Irish heritage. And he, I don't even know anything about the Irish history that it's sort of referencing. And that unlocks a whole mm-hmm. new kind of layer to it. But it's also ends up being sort of a fable about humanity and how we mm-hmm. um, just can't stop fighting with each other. And uh, it's about depression and, and art in a way. Uh, yeah, it's, I think it's fantastic. So that's my number five. Yeah, it's a great movie. I've got it in my top 20. Oh, I think it's my feckin' 18th movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, lots yeah, of feckin' I, in I there. Really enjoyed, I, I, like, as the movie kind of builds up, kind of expecting more of like a um, a climactic ending, you know, like a, some some like powerful scenes that uh, really just kind of like knock you out and and it never delivered that. It went with kind of more like the subtle, mm. you know, li- life choices where dis- different decisions take you in life, you know, as yeah. you're, uh, you know, going along this journey. And uh, and so it didn't come together quite as well as I would have mm. liked. All the humor, all the performances, you know, it all worked so, so well. Um, and, you know, I, it ultimately landed in my top 20 just didn't quite uh, have enough oomph to get up into that top 10 for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Still a great movie. I, I don't have yeah. to complain about. Yeah, that's fair enough. And I can see that about the ending. I, I think I like the, how melancholy the ending is and that yeah. it probably isn't for everyone, but yeah, I, I really like that one, but all right. That's my number five. Time for number four. What's your number four? Uh, my number four is my favorite doc of the year, uh, which is uh, still Navalny. Um, nice. Yeah, Daniel Rohr, uh, you know, just an amazing documentary, amazing movie. I, I said it in your podcast before, so I won't spend, you know, like 10 minutes talking about Navalny, but, you know, it's basically just a, a live action spy movie. You know, it's like a, a, a born identity that plays out in, in real life. And um, like I mentioned before with, with, fire of love being able to see something that's not just a bunch of special effects it's not just mm-hmm. you know some story that somebody crafted but to see real people experiencing things happening in somewhere on this planet it, it just kind of hits a little bit harder mm, you know yeah and um and so when uh, you know I, there was one scene that i could have mentioned last week in our in our scenes of the year um, where they're all sitting around like a table, more or less kind of putting a few of the final pieces in the the puzzle of like how this guy um, ended up getting poisoned and like how the, how the, um, uh, the plot against him unfolded. It was absolutely gripping. And of course, you know, now that uh, the, the country of Ukraine is being attacked by Russia, this movie is ever more timely, relevant to mm-hmm. the world events that you know are happening. A film that everybody should see, you know, and yeah. and you know, free Alexei Navalny. The, the guy needs to be let let out of prison, and uh, you know, let him let him do some good in the world because you know, there's too many people. In, especially in that country right now in Russia that are just, you know, creating uh, a, a problem for all, a, a crisis really for all of humanity, mm-hmm. uh, atrocities. 
Well, this is a film that, despite your numerous recommendations, I still haven't watched. And I'm sorry about that. Um, but I, I definitely will do so soon. Speaking of the timeliness, I think today, we're recording this Wednesday, December 21st, um, Zelensky, uh, Ukrainian president, was yeah. was here talking to Congress and, and meeting yeah. with Joe Biden. So, yeah, such an ongoing thing. And, um, yeah, when those – the way I talked about um, – retrograde the the documentary last week just such such an up to the minute thing sometimes that's mm-hmm. such a not only thrilling but also like it's important like these are things that are happening now and we need to know about them so yeah it's impressive when a documentarian can can capture that my number four you mentioned it before it is triangle of sadness uh i love this movie i thought it's it was so it. good um it's as we talked about last time we talked about our favorite scenes just it's it's cringy and funny and disgusting and it brings in so many things at once and it it just i feel like it did a number on me like i was tired after i watched this movie but i loved it so much Uh, and it really has three different points and i feel like we shouldn't maybe talk about the third act at all to avoid spoiler stuff maybe but yeah, I can like I'll I'll skirt around pretty much anything in the second and yeah. the third act. Like I'll just yeah. more or less talk yeah. about the yeah. I think we can. I mean, if you watch the trailer, it's going to actually give away probably more than I wish they did. So exactly. maybe don't watch the trailer. But it's a dark comedy. Um, the the setup at the at least at the beginning, and it goes to a lot of different places. But it's um these two models that are in a relationship, and what it does consistently throughout the whole thing that I love is it upends your expectations of like these social structures. So for instance, one of the first things they talk about is he's a male model. It's one of the very few industries in which women make more than men, um, make more money. And they have a big fight about this at the beginning. Um, and like, <laughs> I was just like eating it up because it's like, it's such a reversal of what you expect. Um, and it finds a lot of comedy in that. And then con- continues to do things like that with like upending patriarchy by the end and upending. Uh, and we have like the some debates between like a, a socialist uh, and a capitalist that are hilarious. And, and like, and also both sides are really tone deaf in a way. I think that it's really funny. Um, but yeah, just consistently I mean, hilarious throughout and such pointed satire. Uh, uh, Ruben Ostlin is the director. I actually haven't seen either of his other or any of his other films, but I know this kind of pointed satire and kind of dark comedy is kind of his shtick. And I, I definitely need to check out more of his films now because I love this one so much. What do you think about Triangle of Sadness? Oh, yeah. Oh, fantastic. I had it my number six favorite film of the year. It was, oh, what a riot. Uh, you know, like the funniest damn movie I've seen in a long time. <laughs> did, did you watch it in the theater? You, you watched it at uh, home? I, I almost did. I had a screener. I watched it at home. And then I was like, I got to go back and see this in the theater. And I, I you, the timing just didn't work out. Did you get to watch yeah. it with your wife or anybody else? Or just watch it by yourself? No, just myself. But I was <laughs> I was so in it. it like, yeah, oh, yeah, it was great. So like I, we, I went to see it in the theater. It was like a late showing. Was it even, I think it was in November. Um, Cause my brother was in town to visit me. Uh, he lives in Utah. Um, but, uh, but he was in town visiting. And so we just like, I think it was showing at like 11 o'clock at night. So I'm like, dude, let's go. And, uh, and even though there wasn't hardly anybody else in the theater, like just seeing it with him and he, like, we both tuned in to, you know, the, the wavelength that the humor is on mm-hmm. pretty mm-hmm. quick. And we just had an absolute riot. <laughs> like, <laughs> so uh, uh, you know, we were dying. Like it, it, um, 
the second act of that movie mm-hmm. is maybe one of the greatest second acts of the decade. So good. Yeah. It is unbelievable. Um, you know, like, uh, again, I, I talked about Holy Spider and how it just kind of like amps up, like it, it goes mm-hmm. someplace and then it just kind of like keeps on, uh, you know, drawing you in, you know, Triangle of Sadness just pushes the envelope further and further and further mm-hmm. and just grows more and more like unbelievable and outrageous. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. It was, yeah, it is bit, such a, go ahead, go ahead. I was just gonna say it was a bit long. It didn't need to be almost mm-hmm. two and a half hours. Um, but it's when you're laughing and having such a great time when you're laughing that hard, it's really hard to really <laughs> quibble about yeah. an extra 10 yeah. or 15 minutes that could have been trimmed from the, you know, final product. But yeah. Yeah, I was just gonna say like yes it is such a great second act and I was like where is this gonna go next and but I thought the third act is really interesting too and like yeah. it gets back to kind of yeah more I guess more thematic material constructing yeah. yeah the the, mm-hmm. the social structures and yeah yeah and I just remembered as you were talking about this the second chapter the the, the use of heavy metal music in a few scenes yeah. <laughs> like I just, that, that's so funny too and like <laughs> It's like that, that scene stresses you out so much, but I was laughing and laughing anyway. We don't have to keep talking about it. Triangle of Sadness. Very good. Um, I think that brings us to number three. What's your number three of the year? We're on number three. Three for me was Darren Aronofsky's The Whale. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I'm not going to cut you off. Continue. I just to see this <laughs> last night. And um, another one that I was expecting to like but not quite as much as I, uh, you know, like ended up really like, I mean, it, it's maybe not as good as, as Black Swan, um, mm. but man, this, you know, he is such a masterful storyteller and Brendan Fraser, I mentioned him in last week's show about how he just, Every moment he's on the screen, um, you're you're both like it's like staring at the sun, you know. Like mm-hmm. I don't want to see this, but I can't take my eyes off of it. <laughs> mm, <interesting. laughs> That's a yeah, scenario. Yeah, yeah. Like like the things that he goes through are are harrowing, enthralling, riveting. Um, from almost the opening scene to the conclusion. Uh, me and my wife went to see it last night and I like literally sat forward in my chair from probably within the first 10 minutes. Like, and I was just like, (laughs) like staring at the screen, like, like completely taken aback by how Hmm. incredible the film was. Um, Also, a bit scary. Like when I think Mm -hmm. about that movie in terms of where we're headed as society, it's commentary Mm -hmm. on, um, you know, just human nature Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. how easy it is to give into your desires. Some of those, like, like at one point he, he opens up the door. You've seen the whale. Yeah. 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 You've seen the whale. At one point he opens the, the, the drawer of three musketeers mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he closes the drawer back up 
And then he opens another drawer and uh, it's got some, some fruit bars or something in it. I can't even remember exactly some, some healthier option. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he's doing something else. And then like within just a minute or so, he opens up the drawer and within like five seconds, he, he like mouths down like a, a yeah. three musketeers bar or like a couple of them. Yeah. And I'm just like, <laughs> like, um, scared for where humanity is heading mm, wow. um yeah it almost it almost kind of in, in some ways reminded me of uh wally wally where yeah 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 like portrays the human race in such a negative uh mm. light where you're like oh man this is not this is not gonna end well yeah, um but yeah like that that movie uh, so many aspects of it the the um well, of course, the guy from the New Life religious movement. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. that that you know kind of like sucker punched me uh, <laughs> a little bit, but uh, yeah, so many aspects of that movie. I, I I will really be interested to see it again and see yeah. if it holds up on a second viewing because um, I haven't had much time to process it, but right. I knew I really enjoyed it and just so much of what um, you know Aronofsky put off up on the screen. Um, just pulled me right in and I was just there just like you know eating at his fingertips whatever he was like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> figuratively speaking um, just like this the cinematic uh, morsels that he was delivering me I was just like give me more <laughs> yeah wow yeah so in a few minutes I'm going to talk about a movie that you do not like and so this is my chance to do the same. I didn't, I liked the whale. I didn't love the whale. Uh, but yeah, that's it. I mean, again, hearing you appreciate it, I'm like, I, I should watch it again and, and give it a second shot. My experience with it was, I thought the performances were great. Uh, Brandon Fraser's fantastic. Hong Chow, as I mentioned, I voted for her. I thought she was so, so good at yeah. this. Um, Sadie Sink is really good. Yeah. I think about halfway through the the writing kind of stopped being quite as good for me. Mm-hmm. But like up to that first half, I was like, I'm really into this. I didn't expect all the religious themes there, which I've yeah. mentioned. I always love that. And I was mm-hmm. like, this is a really cool um, setup to this story. But I, I think about the halfway point, it, it kind of, the writing fell off a bit for me. And it mostly was with Sadie Sink's character. Again, I think her performance is great. I just don't know that her character is always written the best. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I don't know that that pulled me out of it, and, and by the end, I, I it felt it felt stagey in a way, which is not a, necessarily a bad thing, mm-hmm. but like it was based on a stage play. Yeah. This where there's like very few characters, basically one location. Yeah. Um, and just the I guess emotionally, I wasn't in it for the second half as much as I was the first, and uh, so for that reason, I didn't I, I didn't love the movie as a whole. But again, so many things about it I really like. Um, but yeah, I didn't didn't end up making my my top list here. Well, and that's yeah. one thing yeah. that, um, about it that you mentioned when I was assessing like my emotional investment in the movie hmm. wasn't high, but Interesting. when, when I kind of, you know, gauged that against how like pulled into the movie I was like, I, I had to give it some kudos mm-hmm. for just like, again, like pretty much from the, opening few scenes like i sat forward in my chair and i was just like staring glossy-eyed at the screen like yeah what you know like give me more of this like <laughs> and uh yeah like uh, maybe maybe i'll uh 
you know, dial it back a little bit because I just haven't had much time to process <laughs> it. But straight out of the gate, I was I was really impressed with the most of what you know, the, the, you know yeah. Darren Aronofsky put on the screen. Yeah, again, again, I like the movie. I it just wasn't you know a, a masterpiece for me, but I I do really love Brendan Fraser in it, and I think you know there's been a more seasoned kind of buzz around him, and I'll be absolutely supportive of that yeah. so i think he's his performance is really really good um all right that was your number three right that's my number three uh my number three and this is where you're going to disagree with me is tar uh this is the todd field film starring kate blanchett where she plays lydia tar fictional a lot of people thought she was a real person she's a fictional character um and she's a composer and she's sort of at the the top of her game in a way at the at the start of the film um and i don't want to spoil too much about this because i knew very little about it going in um but i can say it's a me too story um and i, I knew that going into it and but it was not at all what i expected like mm-hmm. like the, the person who's the perpetrator is not what yeah. i expected anyway um but what i was so impressed about this movie first of all kate blanchett's performance is incredible she, she's so good um she, the i think the script and the direction and all the performances really um are just fantastic the the script for me was like an exercise in like minimalistic exposition uh what i mean by that is like it doesn't explain things uh explicitly like it, it just it's all in what you're seeing visually or what you're seeing in a performance that's keying you into these plot points and the plot goes to a lot of different places. Um, yeah. I don't have to go on too much about it, but I, I think the performance is good. The musical sequences are good. We're, we're seeing her compose or uh, direct the, the orchestra, just the politics, like the interpersonal politics between her and her partner and the, uh, some of the other characters that we encounter Again, I'm really trying not to spoil anything about it, um, <laughs> but I I just was so so impressed with it, and it, on a second watching too was like yeah this is fantastic, it has one of the best endings of, I think of the year. Again, I'm not going to spoil, but um, such a uh, I, I don't want to even say that much. The ending was it hits a few different notes at the same time and really really well. Um, and yeah, I'm yeah. a big fan. I'm a big fan of Monster Hunter, so you know that that ending yeah. was like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, you did not love Tar. Tell me why. Um. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, again, some of the things, um, the direction from Todd Fields, um, I can't argue. I can't argue with uh, the the performances pretty much across the board. Um, you know, especially Kate is just, she's just rocking it. Um, she is Lydia Tarr. Lydia Tarr yeah. is her. But one of the things that you kind of mentioned in talking about the exposition is that it, it, it it's not a streamlined story. You're just kind of like, you know, as a, as a viewer, it's almost like the camera is dumped into this room and you're like catching these mm. interviews and these conversations and you're left to kind of piece together where, what is the story? Why am I even seeing this? What mm. was the point of that? Like even now, um, and again, this would have to kind of come into like 
if I get a chance to go back and rewatch it, like why was um, one of the first, was it the second kind of long scene where she's talking with one of the other composers mm-hmm. um, over a dinner table? Um, the conversation's like seven or eight minutes long. And I'm trying to remember what the point of the scene was. Like, what did they establish there? Um, and so, you know, obviously another long movie. We got a ton yeah, of true. long <laughs> movies this year. Yeah. Um, but some of them, you know, just like I mentioned with Triangle of Sadness, some of them just kind of like there's more there than what needs to be there for like a, a concise, mm-hmm. fluid, um, you know, film to just flow and establish a nice pace and get mm-hmm. through what it's, you know, you know, got to hit. And it didn't flow clearly for me. Even some of the plot points that it hits, I kind of threw me for a loop when she's on the airplane, she gets a mm-hmm. book um, that she like immediately just kind of like stuffs in the trash. Um, I don't want to like give away spoilers there's another point where she goes into a bedroom, she opens up a door and there's a metronome ticking. Um, and a couple of things like that, that didn't really go anywhere. I was like, I, I have to watch this movie again at some point in the future yeah. uh, when I can force myself to watch it, <laughs> to figure out what exactly, like how these pieces fit together uh, or if they even do, if it was just kind of like in her psyche that she's starting to lose mm-hmm. it, um, because I, I just felt like it didn't, it, it wasn't cohesive, and bringing and tying some of these things together, um, and uh, and making like a fluidly flowing story from you know start to finish. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and maybe I'm not explaining myself very well. No, it's, that makes sense. That all makes sense. I after eleven, so... <laughs> and I got up early. <laughs> for those uh like for the book and like the metronome thing like i do have some thoughts about that again i don't want to get into spoilers i'm planning to do a podcast about tar i was wondering i was, a few I was asking you haven't done um, a podcast on tar yet i haven't but i've i like as soon as i saw it, it actually works. someone else that was in the theater with me and we're like we got to do it and so we're still planning to do that right. um and i have some thoughts about that so you okay yeah I'll, I'll have to but, do, um, do a podcast yeah. you guys can break it down and but yeah, and I I absolutely see why that would be like a frustrating experience because it is it it just gives you bits and pieces and you have to piece it together. Yeah, for me I loved that experience I think, but the and it it is a long movie, but it also like felt like it flew by for me. I was just in it. I don't know. It, we were just in the right headspace that night. But I really really loved Tar. See, like um, not, not, not and, and you don't have to have a movie that just like lays everything at your feet. Like we had a, a fun yeah. discussion about Nope which mm-hmm. has a lot of those same type of things where you're just like, I don't know what this means. Yeah, what what's exactly the point is of the this? Point of yeah. You're like mm-hmm. kind of working through it and processing it. But, um, you know, again, like uh, some of the, some of the issues that I had with the screenplay, um, you know, and just how it almost deliberately wanted to like talk over me, like using mm-hmm. references and, and phrases and, and, you know, vernacular that I'm just not, like obviously not a yeah. composer, but it, it was almost like trying to lose me along the way. And in, in mm, the way it uh, came across to me, I think I used the word pretentious in my review yeah. and how <laughs> I can it, see that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and I mean, like, uh, again, like film snobs, like we love cinema. We like appreciate 
or try to anyway, like high art. And, uh, you know, maybe it was just, you know, how the power of the dog had the same effect on you. You Mm -hmm. didn't appreciate it. I thought it was a masterpiece, you know, it just, (laughs) just hits you. Um, yeah. In, in, in a different way sometimes where you're just like, yeah, that's just not for me, but, yeah. um, but yeah, you know, like I, I again, I, I can't I have nothing bad to say about, uh, about, uh, Kate Blanchett, but yeah, yeah it didn't quite land as solidly as, and certainly yeah. not a movie for like the general masses, most like, you know, general audiences would go into that movie and just be like, I spent ten dollars for that. <laughs> yeah, I can see where you say like pretentious. I can see that. I mean, I'm I had a bunch of music majors as roommates in college, and I never knew what they were talking about. So maybe I just got used to like I was going over my head. But I can sort of bit, pick up bits and pieces because yeah, I feel like that in the film. There's a lot of those classical music music things that I don't quite understand. Um, but yeah. Uh, anyway, we can move off of tar, but <laughs> I really, really love it. Tar right here. <laughs> yes, we will have another tar podcast yes. later with with someone who liked the movie. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Well, I'm very curious to hear what your number two is. Number two for me was the um, oh, now I can't remember where it was made. It was Austrian. The Austrian submission to the 2022, or well, I guess the 23 Oscars, was the movie Close um, by Lucas Dunn. Yeah, yeah, I already spoke last week about the performances. Um, The uh, the main boy, Leo, played by Eden Dambreen, is phenomenal. Um, Mm -hmm. And really, the, the entire cast is is incredible. I nominated him in the North, in our, in our North Carolina film critics for the best ensemble. There was at least three, four, I think at least four different performers, like actors and actresses in that film that made me cry at some point. Mm -hmm. Like the, the entire cast was just, uh, I mean, I don't want to get into the, the plot details. It is a very, very sad movie. It can be a very, very triggering movie for, for some people. Um, it, it's about a, a, a young, two young boys, 11, 12 years old, that have a very, very special bond and relationship um, that starts to uh, become untethered uh, due to some circumstances when they begin their like middle school, um, you know, uh, middle school uh, classes and um, and the movie is just absolutely devastating it it hits like an absolute hammer out of walking out of that movie I uh, at, at uh, the film festival that I went to see it at back in October like I had to go outside the theater and just walk around for a bit just to kind of collect mm. myself and collect yeah, my thoughts yeah. um, but yeah, Eden Dambreen, the the main child performer that plays uh, plays Leo, just give him all the awards. Get best youth <laughs> actor, best regular actor. You know, give the movie best ensemble cast. Um, it, it's it's cinematic. It it's my favorite foreign film of the year. Close. Yeah. 
close is so so good i i completely agree it's, i think it's fantastic uh that lead performer as you mentioned so arresting and so good um you know what's so interesting i think one of my favorite things about it again i don't want to spoil anything there's, there's like a central event of this film that's a big spoiler um but yeah. the relationship with the mother character I think is such an interesting aspect of the movie, which ends up being like a really important part of the film. The performances on both sides of that. So, so good. And uh, yeah, just a fascinating way for the story to go, I think. But yeah, really love that film. And I, I, again, I can say this, I'm not going to spoil anything, but as someone who was uh, circumstances in my life, made the movie very triggering for me i can say uh, <laughs> um uh, from from you know yeah. years ago but uh and we can talk about that off mic or i can talk about that on a spoiler podcast about close or something but mm. but I, having that experience with it i thought it worked really well like even as you know upsetting of a, as a film as it is yeah. um but yeah beautiful film absolutely love it didn't make my list but but love that that choice and love having and i'm so surprised it's your number two like i had no idea what was in that slot so i'm uh yeah good choice well my number two is a film called after yang come on yang what are you doing come come on what happened to yang i don't know he shut down last night he won't restart has this happened before? No. If we can't get Yang fixed, we're not gonna buy another sibling for Mika. It is an interior core problem. I need your permission to break open the core. We've always known that some bots are equipped with spyware. You might not want this spot in your house anymore. I wish I had a real memory. What do you mean? Did you want to be human? That's such a human thing to ask, isn't it? talk about yeah which i mean yeah. considering <laughs> if we have to wait then it's your turn now one yeah number one <laughs> yeah so, which so this was your number one and my number one when we did the halfway through the, the year yeah. thing yeah. so the state is your number one so after yang tell us why you love it unbelievable so so basically this was the first film that i saw at sundance back in january mm-hmm. and i fell in love with it and so so technically this would have been out of i don't know how many movies i watched this year um i think at least 120 because yeah. uh, i think when we recorded the at the halfway point i was at like 70 or something 
Mm, so I wow. know I've got to be creeping up on the like 120, 130, <laughs> if not more. But yeah, like so after Yang would have been the first movie that I like as far as I can remember. Wow, that's cool for, for the you know for the calendar year of twenty twenty-two. That's beautiful. And uh, and it's just like it's only kind of more solidified itself mm-hmm. as because I did get to go back and watch it when I bought it on Blu-ray earlier this year i think it came out in july or something so i went and yeah, watched that's it again. right yeah it's interesting because it's been out a while and it's yeah it, you know, i haven't heard it in a ton of awards conversations but it should be it's so good anyway, oh gosh. my goodness it is just yeah one well it's my favorite film of the year uh, we talked about in last week's episode uh movies that move me and i specifically kind mm-hmm. of skirted around this one um just to not like you know spoiler alert give away my favorite movie of the year but yeah, like movies that make me contemplate life and like my existence, like what it all yeah. means, what am I doing mm. with my life? Yes, yes, um, yes. I, I'm just this, yeah, completely agreeing with you. Yeah. Yeah, this movie just um, did all of that for me. The world that Koganada creates, you mentioned it a little bit, I think, before, this alternative future. It's so immersive. Um, it feels like a very natural place that like the human race could progress to. And mm. so it, but it stays like so down to earth. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's warm, it's atmospheric. Um, and, and Koganada effectively kind of like offers up these life questions to which he doesn't even, you know, like, give us the answers to he just maybe kind of like hints or suggests at you know like maybe his own personal take on them but he allows us as individuals to sort through what you know the ultimate takeaways are from this film mm-hmm. and uh, just so many of the uh, so many of the scenes in that movie I, I, I wrote one of them down and, and didn't bring it up uh, last week but the scene um what where Yang is talking with the uh, the mother, the mother's mm-hmm. name is. I was gonna bring up the scene. Yep. Yeah, is uh, um, Kyra, played mm-hmm. by Joni Turner Smith, and Yang. She's in uh, White Noise too. She's that scientist. Anyway, going. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like you know, just the the statement uh, by Yang: How can there be something without nothing? Mm-hmm. And. Uh, as grim as that is in its context is, um, you know, again, I talked about close getting hit with a hammer (laughs) and that that's like that one line from that movie probably had more of a, like, like staying power with me Mm -hmm. mentally and just me processing some of the things like where I am at in yeah. my own mm-hmm. life, like where I'm at in, in transitioning from where I was a few years ago to where I am now, mm-hmm. um, my views of like God, life, my existence. Um, and that really just kind of resonated with me and made sense with me on such an emotional level that I, I, I can't think of any one line from a movie this year that has impacted me like after yang like like that like that sequence yeah. from after yang did 
um, just an incredible movie. If you haven't watched it yet, <laughs> go check yeah. it out. Yeah, seriously, it's uh, you can get it on Blu-ray. I think it's on Showtime still, where a lot of A24 ones are. Um, yeah, After Yang is so good. I was going to mention that exact scene. Yeah. Just like they're talking about the afterlife and, and whether there is one where they believe in one. And yeah. um, I guess just to explain the basic setup, because I don't know if we did, but basically there's this family uh, and the older brother is an android, Yang, a techno-sapien, he's called in this world. Yeah. And he, at the beginning of the film, he breaks and they don't know if he's going to be able to be fixed. And um, yeah, so then we we end up seeing some memories of things. And so like just themes of memory for one thing, I think the way that handles that is really interesting. And we have like interactions with the other family members, like that scene you talked about. I love the scene with Colin Farrell, who plays the dad, uh, talking about tea Mm -hmm. and just what it is about. So he says, um, why have you given your life to tea? And the was like, given my life to tea, what a way to put that. But that is like, it's one of his passions that like he runs a tea shop. It's like, he loves it so much. Like he has given his life to tea. And I, yeah. I, I think just like the ways that we as humans, it really gets into those big questions. Like the things we fill our lives with, the things that we yeah. are passionate about and love. Maybe that's cinema for some of us. Um, why have we given our lives to cinema? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I think it just, it, it gets to those things in such a creative way. Yeah, the world, like you mentioned, is, is built out so beautifully, shot so beautifully. It's such a gentle movie. And Koganada's other film, Columbus, I love as well. It's uh, it's not set in a futuristic world like this. This Have you seen Columbus, by the way? No, no. Mm-mm. It's so good, but it's it's list. very gentle in the same way. Um, essentially, both of them are very gentle, but also have like one dance sequence that's like really high energy, which in this one is the opening credits, which is such a funny um, way to open the film. You had an amazing but, opening scene with, with yeah. uh, after Yang and then closing scene with White Noise. We got great that's right. opening credits great and closing credits sequences this year. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah. I actually did a podcast about After Yang, so there's more thoughts there. If you're curious to hear. I love his relationship with the little sister character too, uh, and yeah. um, like they go to a, a plant sanctuary at one point and talk about adoption. She's adopted. Yeah. Anyway, thing. that all is so beautiful, and um, oh, yeah, I love it. I think it's so good. And the editing is interesting. Anyway, I talk about that on my other podcast about it earlier in the year, so go <laughs> check that out. Um, if you want to hear more about it, but after Yang is, is really wonderful. So that's my number two and your number one. There yeah. you go. And now my number one, and I don't know if you know what I'm going to say. Yeah. You, you we, we skipped it because it's my <laughs> number five. Uh, wait, no, what's your number? Oh, that's right. So you do know. Okay. It's yeah. women talking. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I thought I was keeping you in more suspense than that. <laughs> women talking. Why does love the absence of love, the end of love, the need for love, result in so much violence. It was all waiting to happen before it happened. You could look back and follow the breadcrumbs along the path that led to violence. When we looked back, it had been everywhere. It is a part of our faith to forgive. We would be forced to leave the colonies if we do not forgive these men. None of you will listen to reason. We know that we've not imagined these attacks. We know that we are bruised and terrified. Hope for the unknown is good. 
is better than hatred of the familiar. And we could not endure any more violence. We have been preyed upon like animals. Maybe we should respond like animals. How would you feel if in your entire life it never mattered what you thought? When we've liberated ourselves, we will have to ask ourselves who we are. this film so so much i think so yeah talking about personal responses to things it's it's about religious trauma and it's about um so the the setup of the story is it's like this very kind of isolated um religious community like mennonite community and it has come out that the men have been sort of systematically abusing the women uh maybe not all the men but a lot of them it's not clear um and so the women are like, what are we going to, what are we going to do now? So it's, it's women talking in a, in a room for a lot of it. Um, it's not, I think, cause you, you talked about this on the podcast when you'd seen it and I hadn't, mm. uh, it's, it's not as um, claustrophobic as something like the, the film room, which yeah. all literally is one, one room. Or mass. But good, yeah. 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 Mass. That's what I'm thinking of. Not room. Another one. Um, another one. that's also in one room. But um, the, if so they do break out of this they're, they're in the barn talking but they break out of that location yeah. at several points in the film but yeah so it's Rooney Mara Jesse Buckley Claire Foy Frances McDormand is a character in it uh she's a kind of a minor character I think she's also a producer yeah, on it um and Ben Wishaw is like the kind of the one man in the film and uh this film is just really special to me and it, so like each of the characters have their own kind of views on faith and god and I just haven't seen a lot of movies that wrestle that intensely with things <laughs> really specifically that I've also wrestled with. And so I, I appreciate it for oh that reason. <laughs> yeah. It, um, it, so it's interesting the way it's set up to, so, and actually I went out and bought the book. I haven't, I've started reading it, but I haven't finished it yet. Yeah, it I'm also that. planning to do a podcast about this film later too. But um, so like, it's based on a, a real, like the abuse is a real thing that happened. Yeah. Um, and so what, what it says in the beginning of the book and in the movie, this is uh, like the narration says this, like some people said um, it was demons doing this. Cause it basically something was happening to the women while they were asleep. Yeah. Um, ghosts. And so some, some people were saying it was demons mm-hmm. or ghosts. Some people were saying um, something else and then, or they were nightmares. And then the, the way it ends that is and then others were saying it was a wild act of female imagination. Mm-hmm. and so then where the preface of the book ends and then what we see at the beginning of the film is this is an act of female imagination and so what it, that's suggesting is like this film the women didn't really get together and talk and make these decisions in in the real life situation but we're gonna imagine it and and build yeah. out this like experiment almost and um i thought this was a beautiful way to set up the story and to to set a, a space to have these just tough conversations mm-hmm. um and then ultimately the Ben Wishaw character is the one that I felt like I identified with so much. And maybe it's because he's the one man in the film. I don't know. But um, you know, without spoiling anything about it, and there's not a ton to spoil about it, but his character just, um, when you see some of the things that he struggled with, 
his character just breaks your heart uh, a yeah. few times, I think. And um, yeah, I, I, as far as emotionally moving, <laughs> I, I uh, cried a lot during this movie, mm. cried a lot on the drive home, cried <laughs> when I thought about the next day, like <laughs> talked to my wife about it. And I was like, this is really intense. This is a good movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I absolutely love women talking. It's my film of the year. It's a good. And I mean, so, so you've gotten the book, um, you know, so like, like you mentioned, like these, uh, it was in Bolivia. I believe that's right. Yeah. Bolivia mm-hmm. is where like this, um, Mennonite, um, you know, the, the, this, like basically a, a group of people from this religion have set up, um, in this foreign country, just this, uh, kind of a, their own little, you know, um, what would you call it even a uh like a, it's like not like, a commune exactly but like yeah, a religious community yeah, but it's, it's so like, isolated no, like the women yeah. don't learn to read and like yep. it gets yeah, yeah yeah and and it's just it was fascinating that um and and the fact that these events actually happened that led up to mm-hmm. this fictionalized account is I mean, it makes you kind of sick to your stomach. Um, yeah. You know, the the fact that the film covers, um, you know, one of the more, the words that come to mind are like twisted, perverse, grotesque tales of the abuse of religious power within mm-hmm. any kind of a community. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've seen anything like that probably since Spotlight. Um mm-hmm. You know that uh, that just highlighted how when you when you put men like imperfect men in these positions of power, and this was mm-hmm. this goes back to last week when we had our discussions about favorite scenes of the year. Then mm-hmm. Wishaw and Rooney Mara have that discussion that kind of highlighted that to me about how mm-hmm. when you give men these positions mm-hmm. of power they can wield god as a weapon yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or, or you know the like this is what god wants you to be doing this is how god wants you to live and they can manipulate people and get them to like kind of go along with these what amount to atrocities you know and just like sweep them yeah. under the rug or make them like mm-hmm. you know this is god's will for you it's like breaks my mind to to think about how some of these things have happened to 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 you know yeah people and um yeah the writing and the direction I'm, i made a note from sarah polly is incredible performances we've already talked about incredible across the board um the only the only thing that really was like a little off-putting at first was the color grading I, oh, felt it, that, yeah. I, I felt it fit tonally and, and thematically within the film. Um, but it was more or less like if you haven't seen the film yet, it was it's kind of like watching a movie with sunglasses on. Like everything's mm. kind of like dark and, and subdued. And so yeah. some people are kind of like questioning that artistic choice. But personally, mm. I didn't really have too much beef with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I think because you said that before, I I went in with expecting it, so I didn't. Yeah, yeah I was like, oh yeah. Everything else anyway. in the film though just works at such an incredibly high level, um, 
And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a fantastic movie. One of the yeah. best of the year. I love the way, not to get into too much, because I am, I am going to talk more about this movie. Like each character has sort of their own uh, position, I guess, as yeah. far as like their... Um, take on the I mean, situation. Yeah, yeah the take on the situation. Yeah, exactly. Oh, the yeah. posture is the word I was thinking of. Yeah. It's like Francis McDormand's character is like very traditional and like yep. kind of old guard. And it's like, all that matters is do we go to heaven or hell? So like whatever else we, you know, which that line of reasoning is very familiar to me <laughs> like growing up. And then Claire Foy's character is just so angry and, yeah. and rightfully so. Um, and then we have uh, Jesse Buckley, who's just like kind of bitter. And, and I think her character is so interesting to, and, and she's the one I want to really key into the next time I watch it. I rewatched a chunk of it, uh, not, not a whole second time, but I will again before the, the yeah, next podcast. I can't I wait to get a copy of it. But then Rooney Mara's, uh, I guess, a bit more optimistic and hopeful. And, she's the um, forgiving. The, yeah. She's the forgiving mm-hmm. one. Yeah, yeah. And, and then, and they all have, like their mothers are there for a lot of like the older women and what their perspective is so interesting. And the younger women, they ask the kids like, "What do you think?" And yeah, it's just beautiful, top to bottom, and um, tragic, of course. Uh, but I think the, what what they make out of this film is is so so good. So, yeah, timely as well. Talking. There you go. Yeah, yeah, that too. Well, that's my number one. So we got After Yang and Women Talking as our number ones of the year. Here we go. Well, we don't need to drag this out too much longer. But what were your? Do you have any honorable mentions? Other things you wanted to bring into the discussion that were almost in your top ten? Yeah. So so. Um... The, uh, my 10, or so I guess it would be my 11 to 20. Um, and like I said, a couple of them right there teetering on the edge. 11, I had Pinocchio. Mm. Um, 12, I had Thor, Love and Thunder. We spoke about that. Oh, yeah. Halfway through the year. I just had such a fun time with that movie. Uh, 13, I put in Avatar, The Way of Water. There you go. Um, just incredible visuals. The story, you know, left something, you know, to be desired. Mm. But when, you know, what you're seeing on the screen is just so immersive and captivating, it's hard to just dismiss it as like, oh, okay, well, yeah, that just, the story wasn't there. So just toss it in the garbage. Mm. The, the, you know, you just have to see it to, to, to understand. Um, all Quiet on the Western Front. I also mm. had that as a as a high eight, and then from there, uh, rounding out my top twenty, I had White Noise. Just had a mm. lot of fun with that movie. I love White Noise. Yeah. Top Gun, um, great film. Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Had another you know fun uh, fun time at the movie theater with that one. Banshees of Inisherin already talked about. Knives Out Two and Happening. Uh, rounded out my top nice. 20. Uh, the the two that I didn't include, just because I, I think that upon a rewatch, I would have to kind of find a way to slot them up a little higher, were the two um, Decision to Leave and Broker. Mm. I just mm, yeah. didn't get to give those movies kind of like their, their full shot. And mm. I want to revisit them because I think that they could hold a little bit more for me as far as like, like really appreciating what, what they were offering yeah. um, upon a second view, especially decision to leave and, and how I was able to watch it the first time and the intricacies of that movie. Yeah. I, some of it was lost on me the first time mm. 
I love Decision to Leave. I think I didn't I didn't make a full top twenty, but it might have been pretty close up there. I think I didn't I wasn't fully emotionally invested in it, but it's a great thriller. Yeah, it's yeah. so well shot and all of that. Um, yeah, so I really like Decision to Leave. Broker's interesting. I love Corieta. I love Shoplifters from a few years ago, mm-hmm. and it's kind of operating in a similar kind of vein of Shoplifters. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's quite as good, but I, I did like Broker a lot. Anyway. For my honorable mentions, um, everything everywhere all at once. I mentioned like I almost had it up there. I really liked it, but uh, just didn't quite quite make the cut. Um, Marcel the Shell, actually, I love Marcel the Shell that much. I thought it was so moving and it's such a creative, uh, inviting world. Also, a very gentle movie. I mean, I like gentle movies these days. <laughs> the world is crazy. Yeah. Um, Fire of Love, I almost had in my top 10. Like I, at one point as I was putting it together, it was like, it was up there, but then it got pushed out a little bit. But I love Fire of Love. Um, what else? I had at least one other one to mention, but uh, that's probably enough for now. But yes, some really good movies this year. Um, what was your favorite foreign film of the year? Did you, you didn't have any foreign oh yeah. films in your, I guess. I didn't, and I, I, you know was a little bit disappointed that I didn't, but let me look at my ballot to double check and remember. Exactly I was just what. curious what, uh, like oh, the good boss, sadness the good boss actually is a foreign film. Oh yeah. Spain. Yeah. That is the, yeah, that was yeah. the one from Spain. Yep. So yeah, technically yes. you had a, you had a, but yeah, I was surprised cause I love, I, I really love Asian cinema. And so I was like, Oh, yeah. we got a new creative film. And you had RRR. Got... So technically you had two in there. Oh yeah. That's I had, true. I had, course, yes. I had close and I had spider. So we both had oh, yeah. two, we both had yeah. two foreign yeah. films there. Representing, there you go. Yeah, nice. I was looking to see if I had anything else. I didn't have any documentaries. Uh, I almost had Fire of Love up there, that would have been the one. Yeah, um, but uh, a lot of dark comedies, <laughs> Triangle of Sadness, Branches <laughs> Vanish Here, and White Noise, Good Boss is a dark comedy, yeah. Tar in a way is a dark comedy, yeah. at least the ending is, oh, is about darkly funny. Yeah, mm-hmm. but um, anyway, there you go. Well, 2022 good year for movies i think i think we can say uh i so appreciate you taking so much time to talk about movies with me tonight and uh i'm excited for people to hear these and and respond to our opinions here but um yeah always a pleasure yeah seriously yeah tell us if you think when you get to watch (laughs) there you go I do hope. So like, that's the thing too. Like, I hope more people will see Poser now because Absolutely. I don't think I'll not have been on a lot of people's radars uh, <laughs> or the wonder or like, yes, yeah, many things on your list too. But well, thanks so much, Russell. We'll have to do it again soon. And uh, we will say bye-bye for now. And with that, thank you. Thank you for listening to Art House Garage. We've got a few years worth of episodes now and you can hear all of those in your podcast app of choice. Our theme music is by composer Paul Hunefeld. You can learn more at appallingproductions.com. If you want to support Art House Garage, become a patron over at patreon.com slash arthousegarage or find a link in the show notes. You can also buy an Art House Garage t-shirt at arthousegarage.com slash shop. If you want to support us without spending any money, leave a rating or review in your podcast app. And that is hugely helpful. Stay in the loop about Arthouse Garage and the films we're covering by subscribing to our email newsletter at arthousegarage.com slash subscribe. Or you can email me directly, Andrew, at arthousegarage.com. And of course, follow on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Just search at Arthouse Garage in all those places or find links in the show notes. And that will do it for this episode. Thank you again so much for listening. And until next time, keep it snob free.